welcome to the Energy Podcast. My name's Chris Smith. I am currently head of sales at Spiritus Energy. And I, uh, myself and Lars, who's going to choose seven are doing our first podcast, which we're going to call the Energy Podcast. And we're looking to cover a range of topics from a, not just a UK perspective, but from a European and a global perspective. So I'll just hand over to Lars now to introduce himself. Thanks, Chris. Yeah, so um, as Chris mentioned, my name is Lars. Um, I am currently the partner for business development in Yggdrasil, um, which is a tizzy tiny startup here in, uh, in Denmark. And uh, Chris and I, we know each other from uh, back when we were working together at Neas, um, now part of Centrica. Do you want to talk a little bit about Neas and what we did back then? Um, we we can do yes, Lars. Yeah, so uh, Nias, I think, yeah, the, one of the uh, probably the, the main subjects of the podcast today is that the company was set up. It was a Danish subsidiary. Um, Lars and myself joined. Well, I joined Lars and Soren. Um, we're a team of four, and we grew the business successfully. Um, to it was bought it was bought by Centrica in the UK. But I think we were very proud of what we did, weren't we, Lars? We we had a good portfolio of renewables, probably about two gig. And about 250 gig of peaking plant um so i mean it was a a battle at the start but we um we yeah we worked very hard and we we got it together so i think a proud a pr- certainly a proud thing in my career yeah also for me definitely and it was really really nice working with you back then cool and i think that kind of leads nicely into um our topic conversation today so we're going to cover uh cfds given the the round three that's just happened in the uk and again you know back to nias that was really the reason the uk was set up that cfds were coming and that was really where our expertise was in imbalancing power in the short-term market so so i guess well, let's I suppose kick off i suppose the big the big news from the round three cfd was pretty much the collapse in in price so i don't know what your thoughts are on that so so i think that um one thing that we should start with is the uh the price that, that, that is in the news is not the price that, that will be paid out. The price that is in the news, the, the 39 and 41 pounds are prices in, in 2012 money. And once these assets will be built in 2022, 23, 24, et cetera, those will then by the time will be 50 and, and, and will increase every year for 15 years. Um, so I think that that price definitely is extremely low. But I, I mean, you, you see um, the, the Heliate turbines from GE, which are 10 megawatts each, you see that um, the bigger the projects become, the lower the prices are getting. And it's, yes, it surprised me as well how low we're, getting, we're going here. But I do think that it is feasible to build it. And I do think that, 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 I do think that it will still be done, um, even with these low prices. I think that's a really good point, Lars. These, these turbines are massive, aren't they? If you, if you think of um, the original offshore wind parks, which were done under rocks or the um, Fidiars, you, you were looking probably less than two meg turbines. And now we're looking at a 12 meg turbine which is phenomenal and they, they turn at far lower wind speeds so the output is you know a plus 40 percent uh, low yeah. factor so that's that's really impressive but i suppose that's an interesting point that you 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 generally think these are viable but the you know these projects will get built that's uh, yeah yeah and i think that there's i do think that when they're going to be built um they will not make their money back in in those 15 years but they will keep on going and and maybe these first 15 years will be enough to pay back the 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 debt part in the in the project to finance so you um you start building uh, so so when you build these things you have a lot of factor of let's say 40 maybe 45 percent that's four thousand load hours if you build a 12 megawatt uh, asset so that's then uh, 12 times four thousand that's about fifty thousand megawatt hours per year per turbine um those are going to be there then for 15 years. So you have 750,000 megawatts per turbine. That 
if you if you do then an average of 50 pounds so then you have 50 pounds times three quarters of a million that's 35 million pounds per turbine that you're going to get back now those turbines are not going to you might actually be i don't know for how much ge will sell these turbines but if we if we just assume that a turbine will cost i don't know 15 million pounds then you've got 20 million pounds left to do um, all the own ember for 15 years all the connection work all the installments and all that kind of stuff, which is a large, large amount of money, of course, uh, that you still have left. I don't know if it's going to be enough to make the whole project viable, etc. And I also don't think that, that um, I, I might be a little bit optimistic in, one, in some of these assumptions, but I do see that we're not like orders of magnitude away of being able to build. I think it's possible, and I think that we have low interest rates, that helps. Um, and uh, the bigger the projects becomes, to the, the, the more efficient you can be with your money in building these projects. And, yeah, I agree, Lars, as well. I think, I think that, that perspective, that it, you know, it's a 15-year contract to start off with. That's mm. what's kind of given that support. But, you know, as, as we've seen from the solar industry, but, you know, these projects get refinanced and refinanced and refinanced. So eventually the, the capital grows and the, the kind of debt becomes a lo lower percentage of the overall volume. And I, I guess the one thing we, we do know in a, a kind of a European uh, perspective is that there's lots of money out there. There's lots of banks looking to invest in these, these projects. You know, people have done very well out of the kind of the, not just the UK, but the German, um, you know, subsidy boom and, you know, and, and Denmark before. So people are looking for these kind of assets to, to invest. So I suppose that, yeah, I think that's, that's, that's interesting. Yeah. But we, we feel that they're viable. Um, yeah. I think certainly, um, the winners, we're going to touch on that in a bit, yeah. but certainly Dogger Bank took out the lion's share of it's, the project. It's, it's absolutely amazing. I mean, that, those guys have 3.6 gigawatts of assets, which they're going to build now. And, and, and it actually, it makes fully sense because if you build so much big projects there, you can, you don't need to have three different vessels to build them. For example, you can maybe use only one or two, even though you're building three projects. Um, you can maybe share some of the O&M costs. You can, maybe you can even get some of the power lines that you can work together on it. And you can do, there's probably some more synergetic uh, synergy effects, which, which, which you can help on. Uh, maybe if they're going to build uh, um, GE turbines for the whole Dogger Bank projects, you, you, you rather than you know build it, buying 50 turbines there, 60 turbines there, you're gonna you're able to to buy two to three hundred turbines or three no three hundred and maybe even a few more turbines in one go. Now being able to do that, you get scaling effects again, and those scaling effects will definitely be of help uh, uh, for those projects. I suppose I think one thing to focus on as well, Lars, is the the losers. Um, I think you know it's I suppose the big message is the power prices collapsed two really projects took the kind of line share of the offshore wind allocation and it wasn't it wasn't that the pot didn't go in terms of the the, the pot was there for cfds it was actually the capacity that almost got breached so you can assume that the next project that would have won would have been greater than than 200 megs so I, I i guess in terms of the losers i suppose the question from my side is that the you know that these aren't cheap things to develop you know you have no. to put on sink a lot of capital in that um Will will that detract you know from future future in, you know people investing? If you if you've put two three hundred million pound into these projects and you've lost, is that going to put people yeah, up maybe push prices up? I don't, I don't know. I don't know if the prices will go up, but I think I think that one thing which was extremely helpful was that um, I think I saw it yesterday uh, or, or definitely earlier in this week that uh, the 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 crown estate has already started with the round four leases or at least it has has made introductions about we should start to do a round four and where should it be etc 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 now by being able to do that you give these projects 
um, or you give the, the, the pipeline of projects um, at least some political support or some, yeah, some, some, some point of saying, listen, guys, yes, we did six gigs, but we're not going to stop you. We're going to do even more. And that, is, that, that, that definitely is, is valuable. Of course, I agree with you. There will be people out there who've spent um, tens and maybe hundreds of millions on developing projects which are right now worthless. Now, you can say, okay, if you cannot build it with subsidy, maybe you can build it without subsidy. We can, uh, we can have a few minutes of the, to talk about that maybe. Lars, that's a really interesting point because you, you say worthless, but I, you know, I know certainly from uh, it is on the ground, but people who, who lost in the auction and there are, you know, four big projects that names are kind of out there that have, have lost that they are looking at options and to uh, potentially do it subsidy free. And I guess there's a view that if if you believe that the power prices can be above the strike prices that have been agreed, you know, essentially that may be a more valuable way of doing it but it's pretty ballsy isn't it it's that's you know you, you, you these assets will you know the eventually more the more offshore wind that comes onto the market that should depress depress power prices but. absolutely and and of course you're losing you're you're losing unless somebody's going to underwrite a 15-year fixed price which i don't think anybody's willing to do you're losing the um the certainty of income so not only your expected income but much more importantly the certainty of income so I would assume that if, if you go without, if you go fully without subsidies, your cost of capital would probably be higher because there's, the banks don't have certainty that you're going to get your money back, etc. However, there was, a, there was an interesting thing that I, um, I spoke with uh, um, a couple of oil traders, actually. And these guys basically stated to me, um, listen, a wind, an offshore wind asset is actually not that different compared to uh, an, an offshore oil drill, uh, uh, um, an, uh, yeah, an offshore oil drill. Because what you have is, a, is billions of initial investment, and then you know that you get a resource, which in the case of an oil drill is oil, but in the case of an offshore wind farm is electricity. And then you just have to hope that the commodity price is high enough to repay your investment. And the oil guys are having the exact same problems right now. Yes, they have a maybe a little bit better uh, view on what the long-term uh, value of oil is, and you, they, they might be able to store it for a couple of months in between to maybe smooth out the, the, the ups and downs, etc. But there is, you could make an argument that you would say, okay, maybe let's even try to find that type of, 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 of financing for it. That hasn't been done before, definitely not on those scales. But you do see, uh, uh, you do see oil companies going more and more into electricity companies, uh, into, into the electricity market. You see Shell made, made investments, I think even this week again, of, of getting more customers. You know that, uh, um, our friends in Aarhus, Dansk Commodities, was bought by Equinor, which is an oil company. Um, it used to be called Startall, so the name, the name is there. Um, BP is making noises to start doing stuff uh, in, in the US. There's loads of oil companies who are investing also in wind. So I, I'm not saying that, yes, they can make that, 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 that uh, contract tomorrow. But those assets are, yes, for the subsidies are now today worthless. However, they did get all the permitting and stuff in place. So if you, the only thing they need is the money. And, um, you know, there's enough noises out there that we should stop investment in CO2 emissions. And this could be an alternative. I agree. I agree, Lars. I think that's, that's a really, really interesting point. I, I guess moving on from the UK, I think as, as, mm. as a man who sat in um, Denmark and of uh, German yeah. and Dutch heritage, obviously mm. got a, quite a, a range, you know, range of, um, sort of <laughs> views on views on the world. So I guess, you know, the UK have gone big on offshore wind. It's been very much a offshore wind and gas policy. France is set their stall out. They're going to build a gig of offshore wind every year now until 
2028. So I guess you know Germany's not too far behind, but it, you know, from a German Danish perspective, is offshore wind where we where we see the growth moving forward? I think that I think um, so. A, a um, on on the German point. So the problem for Germany is, of course, that they have a huge amount also of onshore wind near the coast. So the grids there's simply just not enough consumption relatively close to where the offshore farms would be built. So what you see in Germany now is that you have this you have this problem that you have a lot of consumption, like the the, the car manufacturers, the steel manufacturers, and stuff, and the south the southern part of Germany, but the renewables are all in the north. So they they have to build very very big lines, which is currently being built. It just takes years and years before those are being built. So you have forty thousand megawatts of onshore wind and. Then you have the, uh, the, the the four or five gigs which are currently built and being built in Germany, and those are just they're just there's just not enough place uh, uh, place on the grid to be able to, to do this. And um, as an, just as a reminder, in Germany the TSOs are responsible for making sure that there's always grid connection. So whereas in, in the UK the the project developer also has to make sure that the connection can be done. So they are responsible. And in, and that means that in, in Germany, if the TSO just simply says, "Sorry guys, we cannot connect you," then you cannot build more. Now, um, actually, a very interesting point, uh, a very interesting uh, development on the, on the continental side is in the Netherlands, we already had two rounds of subsidy-free offshore wind, and they got oversubscribed. So there's actually now in Holland talk about, do we want to let people bid for the auctions, as in who is going to pay get, to get the consensus that they are allowed to build? Um, I think that that will happen. And so in the Netherlands, there's now, um, there's a firm plan which is which is committed that there will be 1.4 gigs auctioned off every year from now until 2025 that's seven gigs more in a country which today only has two gigs of offshore wind um and the reason so i think i think it will happen i think the dutch are going to go big and the the reason why they can do it is because and i'm very thankful for that and i think a lot of continental europeans are thankful for that because the uk made the investments to build those seven gigs so far the costs were, were able to go down and that uh, uh, um, that is where where you will see that this this is this will not stop. The costs are so low; it, it will just continue. Just a good example of the UK supporting the European ambitions as our uh, yeah. our, our long-standing commitment <laughs> to Europe. Last right, I think we've um, we've al- we've already gone over our time, and we've probably spoken about half the things that we were we were going to speak yeah. about. So um, we're going to, we'll wrap it up now, but I think there's plenty to talk about in a future podcast. So yeah. hey, goodbye from me. And goodbye from me as well. And I look forward to uh, do part two then. Yeah. And please, any, any feedback on the podcast, we're really, really keen for. So just to yes. know, make these as interesting as possible.